Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, November 19th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats, and joining me as always is the amazing Gigi Broadway. Gigi, how you feeling? I am here. I'm having, my body's having an epic battle, my immune system with something out there. But Something's going around. Ready. Something's going around. What is going around? <laughs> well, hey. I'll tell you what, we have an amazing episode for the listeners today. I had the pleasure, the distinct pleasure of sitting with the amazing Corrine Jean-Pierre. If you're not familiar with Corrine Jean-Pierre, she is the public affairs officer for MoveOn.org, and she is also a national spokesperson on MSNBC. You probably have seen her on all your cable news stations talking politics. She's worked in the White House. Kareen is absolutely fantastic. And Gigi, guess what? What? She has a new book that's out right now called Moving Forward. And I was able to talk to her. She was on the road in San Francisco. But I was able to talk to her about the book, everything that's been going on in her life, everything she's been through. She's had an extraordinary life for a young for a young woman. Uh, she's had an extraordinary life. And I'm just so excited for everyone to hear uh, and learn more about Kareen. Let me ask you this. Because you've had an extraordinary life as well. I mean, I try. At what age would you decide to write your own memoir? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> you know, because you, do you want to pick a point in your life or, or do you want to wait until like your life is almost over to capture everything? I just I think it depends more so on how awesome or how extraordinary your life is. And you just got to go for it whenever. It well, I will, I will tell you this. Kareen has had an amazing life. Uh, to date and it's going to keep and keep going hopefully it goes for a long long time but this is her very first book moving forward and that interview with kareen is fantastic so i'm excited for everyone to hear that in addition we have two amazing segments that are based off of ask the cheats movement it is back so we've got two amazing questions from uh friends of the show and they're talking about colin kaepernick Uh uh-oh and black media Nice. Are you ready for this, Gigi Broadway? As ready as I'll ever be. As always, you can contact the show at thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. It's The Cheats Movement on everything social media. Before we go any further, please, please take a minute and rate and review our show. Everywhere podcasts are available, we need your support as we move forward. Please. Please. With no further ado, we'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. Joining me via phone is a very special guest. I'm so excited to have her, Kareen Jean-Pierre. Kareen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much. Hey, so for those of you who don't know, but I'm sure most of you do, Kareen is the chief public affairs officer for moveon.org. She is also an analyst and contributor to MSNBC. She is also a professor at Columbia. We could go on and on. I don't know how (laughs) you do it. It is amazing. But we are here to talk about your very first book, 
Moving forward, it is out in stores now. I categorize it as part memoir, part call to action. Kareen, how is all of this going? How are you doing? It's going great. Yes, my first book, Moving Forward. I'm so excited. Go get the book. I think you'll love it. Um, I'm on tour right now. I'm on the West Coast uh, part of my tour. It's been amazing, Mark, just meeting people who um, who either are there to hear me, you know, in person for the first time, and you do these book events and you tell the story, and and um, it's really resonating. It's really resonating with folks. People are feeling inspired. Um, the book is also a blueprint to how to get involved in politics, uh, a, a blueprint to um, how if you are interested in. In, in getting in, like, you know, people always are like, how do you get to the White House? My sure. students ask me that all the time. And it's a blueprint that sh- lays out how to do that, but also how to get active and engaged, um, how to, you know, step forward and, and really, you know, we're, 2020's right around the corner, and I lay out, like, okay, we, it's not just about voting. We need you. We need your skills. We need your brain. We need you to, to or, a, engage people, engage voters, engage your community, engage your neighborhood, engage your family, make those phone calls, knock on doors, really try to get involved in the grassroots movement, which we will need uh, in 2020, less than a year from now, uh, if we're going to take back the White House. So it's a it's a it's a it's a very interesting book. Like you said, it's a memoir. I tell my personal, very personal, deep, raw story. I try to be very authentic and honest, and it was important for me to do that while laying a path in getting involved politically. Let me ask you this, because everybody, and we will get into a little bit more of that story and the details of the book. I'm always interested uh, about timing. Timing is so critical, and I I'm always fascinated in regards to why do you believe now was the right time for you to write this particular book? I think so. I've been thinking about writing this book for a couple of years now. I've always thought that I had a unique story. Not, I shouldn't say that. Not a new, unique story, but I had a story that I think could help other people that may have been feeling like there was no way out, that may have been feeling like they keep getting knocked down and they don't know how to get back up. And I wanted them to know someone like me that they see on TV that's been to the White House has gone through it all, and and I made it, right? So I wanted to really tell that story for to inspire and motivate people. And then there's the other part. These last three years um, with this administration, the Trump administration, has been really paralyzing and um and has gotten people really down in, in the political process. And so I wanted to make sure that I can give a rallying cry, right? I could also, like, really inspire people and let them know that there is, we, sh- we do have hope. We can get out of this. And we are in charge of the direction that this country will go go to um, in next year in 2020. And so that was really important. And also, you know, I, I tell this uh, an immigrant story as well, this anti-immigrant um, rhetoric and policy that we've seen from this president has been so awful. And I wanted to correct the record, if you will, and tell that immigrant <laughs> story. Um, and, and, you know, and, and to be quite honest, if you are not white, male, uh, straight, and wealthy, you, there's a target on your back with this administration. And and I know a lot of people who've been feeling really down. And so wanted to also have that message as well. It's it's such an inspiring story and and inspiration kind of runs through the book. You mentioned uh that you dedicated this book to anyone that's ever been told no. And you really wanted to let those knows 
kind of turn into something positive. Tell us a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about, because like you said, they see such the kind of positive outlook uh, of your life. This book really goes into some of those details, but tell us, is, is there a time that really stood out that you feel turned the corner for you? In my career, um, in my career, in this political career that I, I, I'm in, Oh, in your career or in life, because your book touches on both. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's been many, many, um, many things that have changed, uh, kind of changed my trajectory. Number one was uh, going into going into uh, the political arena. I never thought that I was going to go into political arena. I grew up in a in a culture in a household where uh, I was either going to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. That's what my parents thought I would be. That's how they saw success being immigrants in this country. And they wanted me to be a doctor. So I spent a lot of my young years, my uh, early uh, early uh, adult years in, in college in particular, go, going through pre-med and thinking I'm going to be a doctor. It didn't work out. I talk about that in, in a lot of detail. There's actually uh, a, a really sad moment in that, in that piece of the story. And then I ended up in grad school years later in my mid-20s. And um, and I, I had uh, the fr- I started grad school in 2001 at Columbia University School of International Public Affairs. I mentioned that because it plays into this, what I'm about to tell you, which is the first week of of grad school, September 11th happened, mm-hmm. and that I, I felt like I was living in a bubble. And when that happened, it opened up. It opened up kind of my thinking and opened up like the experience that I was having. And it was I was living in New York City. We lost more than 3,000 souls. It was awful and devastating and seeing people react to that and having to react to that and going into being in a program that had international students uh, was also mind-opening. And then um, my second year of the Columbia program, I went to Haiti for the first time. My parents are Haitian, and I visited the country for the first time. And that, coming home from from that visit, I realized I really want to help people. I really want to do something that changes hearts and minds, and all, but not just that, but also create policy. Uh, create policy. And two of my mentors, one of them being David N. Dinkins, who's the first African-American mayor of New York City, sure. who was teaching at FIPA, and also Professor Esther Fuchs, who was a, a fiery feminist um, in, in the Columbia community, university community as a professor. They encouraged me, and she was working for Bloomberg that first, his first um, time running for mayor. And so they encouraged me to get involved in politics. And that's basically, that was a life-changing all of those were life-changing um, moments that led me, you know, eventually to where I am today. Sure. And um, and you know, I, the the other part of the book is I didn't get in, I didn't get into politics until my mid twenties. I wasn't one of those legacy kids or kids in in my teenage years who knew that I was going to get involved in the you know the political club and run for my class president or knew that I was going to hope you know hopefully you know run for something down the line. That's not where my head was at. So the book tells this very unorthodox story of someone who got into politics and how it, how, how that path. And so I wanted that kind of the other message, which is I had my own path. You know, you don't have to follow anybody else's path. You can find your own, and, and that's part of the inspiration. And it relays politics. so strongly in the in the the way that you kind of tell those stories. It really is an amazing book. You mentioned. Uh, that it kind of got real for your parents, for lack of a better term, when uh, Barack Obama won, and you could you could tell your parents like, "We're going to the White House. I'm going to the White House." Is there right, a moment right. in your life, especially when you were in the White House, 
where you realize like this is different this just hits differently Oh, yeah. I mean, I talk about it in the book. Look, my parents, even when I told my parents um, that I was going to go into politics, they were, like, appalled. They were like, are you kidding me? Because they grew up up in a dictatorship, right? right? They grew up in a place where they couldn't have a free voice, one of the reasons why they left the country. And um, and so when their daughter saying, hey, I'm going to get into politics, they were like, are you kidding me? Like, they thought I'd be on the corner somewhere <laughs> dead. And uh, and so it wasn't until working on Obama campaign, and still they were like, why are you, like, going across the country, sleeping on people's couches, because or living here for three months or here for six months? They still didn't get that. But when he won, they said, I'm going to the White House. They were like, okay, <laughs> we're okay right. with it. Right. We like this idea that you have. And, I mean, I talk about I, the very first, I, I believe, introduction of my book. It is the introduction of my book. I talk about walking into the the gates of the White House and that experience and feeling like I had, I had the, you know, the, 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 the Haitian community on my shoulders. And you, you the, the enormity of it, like the, how enormous that experience is, it, it, it weighs on, I think, all of us, all of us who, who have that similar background. We sure. were majority, we were very young, you know, many of us were young going into this administration, and we, we felt it. We knew the importance. We were working for the first African-American president, that alone, the historical nature of it. Um, and so I think we all felt it. It wasn't anything that grew, that, that creeped, us, creeped up on us. It was like, oh, no, this is in- important. That's fantastic. Karina, I want to switch gears for a little bit because I know you're uh, short on time and I've got to ask. I don't know if you're as familiar. I know, obviously, with Move On, you were kind of focused on activism all across the country. Right here right. in Virginia, we just had a big election uh, a week and a half ago or so in which Virginia flipped uh, the House and the state Senate to Democratic control from Republicans. And so now our governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and both chambers in January will be uh, under Democratic control. The question I have for you, given your vast experience in professionalism, is what advice would you give the new Virginia Democratic majority, knowing that, you know, their clock starts immediately in January. they got two years to get things done. You've got to do the people's business. There's a reason why Virginia is now blue. <laughs> it's amazing. Congratulations to Virginians who went out and voted and made a loud statement. I mean, there's the, what, what, what Virginia did not only was great for the state, but was great for the country. I mean, Virginia is a, has rural areas, urban areas, suburbia areas. I mean, this is a, this is a very important state. Um, and as we head into 2020, it, you know, it was an indicator for us in 2017 when, uh, when, when, when we, when, when Democrats were winning, uh, in, in the suburbia areas. And so now it's like, wow, the whole state is blue. And so I would tell them, listen to you. There's a, there's a reason why voters handed over uh, Democrats, the majority, and you have to do the people's business, listen to the voters, um, and uh, people want change. People want something different. You know, they want you to focus on important policies and issues, those bread and butter issues that matter to them. And I think that they're, they're tired of the what's going on on the national level, right, what's going on with this president tweeting and the division, because they wouldn't, they wouldn't have handed it over to, to the Democrats. So I think it's like do the people's business, focus, listen, pay attention to the moment that we're in. 
You know, the moment that we're in is so incredibly historical, and and Virginia is going to play a big role in 2020. They're going to help in that that you know that magic number of 270, and uh, and now it's a blue state. That's amazing. Kareen, we are going to go into rapid fire right now, just to, to make sure we get some of these audience questions in before we get you out of here. Uh, rapid fire, if you will. I know this is always hard, but biggest issue that you see facing American democracy right now. Biggest. I'm so sorry, I missed the, that. Big the issue. biggest, the biggest issue that you see facing or impacting our American democracy right now. Oh my gosh, Donald Trump getting reelected. I think if he gets reelected, I worry about our, our democracy currently. We are a young democracy, 240, 250 years old, and we have to remember that. And people we have forget a that. People forget how young our democracy people, is. We yes, exactly. We have to remember that we have a president that steps on the Constitution constantly. That the base is the presidency that tests our democracy every single day. And if he gets reelected in 2020, we have some serious thinking to do because I think we're in big trouble. And uh, we have to come out and vote. That is my biggest, biggest concern. Best is Donald Trump getting reelected. That is, we'll, we'll, I think our democracy, it will, it, we will be in a, in a tough spot. We already are. Best advice you've ever received? Oh, um, go for your passion. Believe in yourself and go for what you're passionate about and what moves you. That's what I tell my students all the time when they're trying to figure out what are they going to do next, how does that look, and just go for it and everything will work out. I know it's easy to say and you have to worry about food and paying your student loans or paying bills, but it, there is something to it. There is something with following your heart and what you're passionate about. Last two, super quick, and I'm going to put you on the spot. You can pass on this one if you want, but I know that obviously you worked very hard for Barack Obama and worked in the White House. Who in the 2020 candidate field do you believe is most like Barack Obama? Oh, I have to pass. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. Uh, uh, you know, here's my answer, Mark. It was a good here's my, my, Okay, here's my answer, and I truly, truly believe this. Barack Obama was once in our generation. We will never see anybody like Barack Obama. I truly, truly believe that. I mean, the way he speaks, the way he, I mean, he, he led a movement. Absolutely. And always the smartest person in the room. And I just don't think anybody will come close to him. So, and this is a question that we ask every one of our guests, especially the special guests. So I have to ask you, Kareen, what's in your playlist? When you're traveling across the country, what are you listening to? What pumps you up? What pumps me up? Or just oh. what's in your playlist? What's, what, what do you travel oh, to? Oh, my what do you playlist. To? My playlist. Your, your oh, musical playlist. playlist. Yeah, my playlist is all over the stuff of the place. Sometimes I listen to Stevie Wonder. Sometimes I listen to Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> like, literally all over the place. And I try to, you know, I'm I'm into. Um, uh, oh my God, I'm trying uh, Liz, Lizzo right now, and I'm listening to her stuff. Sometimes I want to go back to the '90s and listen to some like '90s R&B and hip hop. It really just, it, it really, it is all over the place. That's all fantastic. over the place. That's fantastic. Yeah. The, the book is called Moving Forward. Kareen, please tell everyone one more time where they can get it and, and why they should buy it. I definitely tell everyone that's listening that they should go out 
and and pick it up and if you can while while Kareen's on tour make sure you check her out as well she's doing amazing events I saw some with Joy Reid and Valerie Jerry yeah, and some amazing stuff you, so please tell everyone where they can get the book and support you yeah thank you Mark I really appreciate it you can get it on Amazon you can get it at your local independent bookstore please support our local independent bookstore very very important you can do, go there uh, you can go to my website www.kareen Jean-Pierre with the hyphen, J-E-A-N hyphen, P-I-E-R-R-E dot com. And you can see where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the city near near you on my book tour. And I'm happy to take pictures and, and sign your book and have a conversation about the political climate that we're in. I'm happy, happy to talk to people. We've gotten really great responses. Lots of people have come to our event. Um, and so it's been an exciting, invigorating time. It's been inspiring being out here. So I want to see folks. But please, please buy the book. I promise you, I promise you, it will inspire you and move you. Thank you so much, Kareen. I really appreciate it. You are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Hey, Chiefs and GD, I'm Nicholas Ingles, sports broadcaster. I think Colin Kaepernick will have a job in the NFL in the future, but he won't have a starting role. What are your thoughts on that? Nicholas, what a great question. Thanks so much for asking. And anybody that knows GG, I actually did some work with Nicholas. He is an amazing sports broadcaster, so make sure you check out Nicholas Dangle on all social media platforms. But the question of the day Given all that's happened over the weekend with Colin Kaepernick, and we can get into a lot of it, but the NFL scheduled a workout, the commissioner's office now, scheduled a workout for Colin Kaepernick to perform into what they said was about 20 to 25 NFL representatives for teams. Um as you probably have followed closely over the weekend. Let me ask, how closely have you been following the Colin Kaepernick weekend? Well, I've been a little under the weather this weekend, but, you know, I, I couldn't avoid it. You, know, you, can't, you couldn't looking, avoid it. it you there. couldn't avoid it. No. So all that's happened over the weekend, for anybody that is listening that hasn't been following, it turned into a pretty big circus, a pretty big yeah. media circus. Mm-hmm. Kaepernick actually moved the workout uh, from the predestined Atlanta Falcons workout facility that the NFL set up, he moved it about 51 miles away to a local high school. He notified the NFL probably a couple hours before the workout, and he did work out. And from what I understand, the workout was actually phenomenal. He proved that he was still very much an elite quarterback with elite skills, However, he hasn't been working in the NFL for the last three years. Uh, but he, pr- the, the the interesting thing about the workout was no one actually talks about the workout. They talked all. about all of the media circus and the gamesmanship with the NFL, uh, but no one actually talked about the workout. And the workout was actually really, really good. So the question that Nicholas asked is, do we think Colin Kaepernick will actually work in the NFL ever again. Gigi Broadway, your thought? I think it depends on a few factors. You know, um, judging by the events of the past weekend, I think that 
he could but i also think that he wants to do it on his terms so i think it would depend on a few things such as team uh money and just if it if it's a right situation so if you asked me on friday <laughs> before the workout do i think colin kaepernick would work in the nfl again i would have told you after this weekend Colin Kaepernick would have a contract and on a team within the next two weeks. I would have told you that. I really believed, and I believe that this was a cover exercise mm -hmm. for the NFL to allow NFL executives to come see Colin Kaepernick without being singled out. Because I do think individually it was harder, right? Individually, if it's like, Oh, the Eagles are going to call in Colin one-on-one -on -one to do a workout on a Tuesday. Yeah. By the time that media circus gets around, everybody would have been focused on said team that called him in. Okay. So no team wanted that type of heat. Right. So I, I was thinking, and I think I've been proven to be wrong, but I was thinking that this was kind of a cover for the NFL to let the GMs come see Colin work out, and then somebody was going to sign him, like kind of open the door, and someone was going to sign him within two weeks. Right. He gets on a team, may play, may not play, but but this three-year ban of Colin Kaepernick would be over. Okay. Today, Tuesday, <laughs> November 19th, I strongly believe that Colin Kaepernick will not work in the NFL ever again. Why? Because of all of the things that happened over the weekend that had absolutely nothing to do with his football talent, I believe that all of that stuff, the, the news circus, the changing of location, the, the first time he's speaking in really three years to the media, mm -hmm. all of that, I think, whether he wanted it to be or not, whether it's fair or not, I believe that that is a deterrent to NFL teams mm. that just want to bring in a quarterback. Uh, and, and again, all of this is, is wrong. It's not 100% right in the sense of the structure we're talking about. Right. But we'll, the structure that we are talking about, the structure of the NFL and these NFL teams, they don't want their backup quarterback being the story every week. So say Colin signs with a team, which I do believe – there is nobody's question, does this man deserve to be in the NFL? Absolutely. Should he be able to kneel? Absolutely. That's what makes this country great. He Should have. Should he have ever been out of the league for three years? Absolutely not. Right. This is all uh, abomination, right? Mm -hmm. However, if I am the executive of said NFL team, I bring him in. He's already not the starter. We already have a quarterback. I bring him in as the backup. What do you think is going to happen every week until he gets on the field? Mm, it's gonna be a lot media circus yeah. if the starter you know throws two interceptions everybody in the stands is going to be cheering for colin so you don't bring him in to sit on the bench you can't no because if he's on the bench week two week three think about if he's on a bad team yeah they're gonna be like put colin in you know what i'm saying so i think that i think now this weekend like it or not for better or for worse was a clear example to NFL executives why they chose 
or colluded or you know what I mean to stay away from this type of circus. Yikes. Because you don't my read is you don't bring him in to sit him on the bench. The easiest thing for the NFL to have done even two years ago or last year was to have him sign with the team so the NFL could get the 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 blackball label off of them. Okay. Right? They didn't they didn't they couldn't do that. They didn't do that or whatever. So now I think as hit in his silence and all of this, his stature has grown, man. Yeah. He he's now. The question is: Do we look at Colin Kaepernick as an athlete or an activist or both? Wow. So you're saying by him deciding to control his narrative or make some changes that that totally like got rid of his chances. So you think he has no chance now? You think they don't want to deal with him and his foolishness? I hate to say it this way. Because it go it flies in the face of everything we say about athletes having a voice. Yes, it, it does. does. It really does. Absolutely, this it is does. a whole. You know what I mean? LeBron James shut up and dribble. Yep. Type type system, right? Mm-hmm. But the system is not built for the system that Collins playing in right now is not built for him to get his narrative out. And, and no, 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 but it's, that's a problem. The, oh, it's awful! It's awful! And I think people are like. Being complacent with that, and I think it's a problem. I think it, it, 32 NFL teams, 31 of them are owned by white men, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> the other one is owned by, I believe, uh, an Indian, uh, Indian descent. I think I so, think yeah. the Jacksonville Jaguars are owned by a gentleman of Indian descent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the system is not built for a Colin Kaepernick or any person that is not a white man or the other, the, you know, the, the Indian owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, to really get a narrative out? No, I don't believe that. So, I believe, unfortunately, because like I was saying, to get back to the point, it flies in the face of everything we say about athletes having a voice. However, I do believe if he had showed up at the pre-setup NFL, no media, no transparency, uh, bad contract, uh, workout right that mm-hmm. they scheduled at the Atlanta Falcons facility he would have had I would say a much better shot of signing with the team than by him grabbing the narrative back doing it at the high school only having eight teams so they went from 20 to 25 executives to eight Wow! and all of them have to deal with what, what goes around Colin Kaepernick and not actually care about what happened on the field this is ridiculous. I think this takes us all the way back to square one where it's kind of like do what we say, shut up, play and keep it moving. And he didn't do that. So we have this and we have him being pretty much ejected out the league. We have three years of us going back and forth. And now we're here. Okay, let's throw him a bone. It's been three years. We've caught a lot of heat. Right. No one talks about why the NFL decided to do this when yeah. they decided to. So he's been out of the league for three years. Right. He's been asking to work out for teams for three years. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the question for you, Gigi, because everybody says Jay-Z and his deal with the NFL had a very significant part in setting up the Kaepernick workout. Mm-hmm. We don't know if that's true or not because Jay- Jay-Z isn't talking about it. If that is true, did Jay- does Jay-Z signing with the NFL, and if he's doing things like getting Colin Kaepernick a workout that's completely NFL dominant, 
But is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Is Jay-Z still playing uh, chess where everybody's playing checkers? Is Colin Kaepernick playing chess where everybody's playing checkers? Who's got the upper hand here? Oh, well, the NFL clearly, clearly, I think, and you know, this is just my opinion, but I think that it happened now because I think that the NFL tried to use Jay-Z, of course, as our emergency podcast, we have already expressed. For those of you who haven't listened, <laughs> go back and listen to the emergency podcast, Jay-Z, the NFL, and Colin Kaepernick. Go ahead. Absolutely. Um, I think that they thought by kind of mandating Jay-Z as this person to kind of well what he you know what he was brought on to do and I don't think he was received as well as they anticipated so I think that this is like a plan B to get Jay-Z more like you know solidified in his role because I mean honestly it didn't go over well as they thought would you agree or disagree when Jay-Z uh, partnered with the NFL, I think the diehard Jay-Z fans, and I'm one of them mm-hmm. in, in regard to that, was at the best saying, okay, let's give it time and see what happens. Yeah. No one was saying this is a great thing. Right. Every, it, the people that were diehard Jay-Z fans were like, let's see what he can do. Exactly. We didn't have a lot of faith. And then, again, a lot of people that are not diehard Jay-Z fans was like, this is it's trash. Complete trash. And I think this is kind of like a cleanup for that whole move to say, oh, well, look, Jay-Z, Jay-Z got him on board. And now, look, they're giving Ka- Colin Ka- Kaepernick a shot. But my thing is, if, if the whole thing is to change how the NFL treats us. Interesting point, but I see where you're going with that. And uh-huh. that wasn't the thing. Ka- Ka- Colin Kaepernick was not kneeling for the about the way that the NFL treated their employees or black and brown employees. Colin Kaepernick was kneeling to highlight police brutality and social injustice. Right. Social injustice, but then by him being like kicked out of the NFL, that kind of set the precedent like okay. So do you think that changed the narrative? So now Absolutely. so you think that Kaepernick represents even more than like that's a good question do you think kaepernick now represents basically people versus a system or do you still think that kaepernick is basically just you know the kneeling was about police brutality and the focus should be on police brutality because again one of the challenges about the whole kaepernick issue is that People on all sides. So whether it's Donald Trump trying mm-hmm. to politicize Kaepernick kneeling, mm-hmm. or is it people that are that are progressive, the most progressive activists in the world, trying to make it? Oh, Collins fighting the NFL. He's, he's fighting the system. All of that, to me, seems to have kind of manipulated what Colin Kaepernick is trying to do and what he wants to do. Okay. See, I think. Okay, so him you know kneeling for police brutality in the grand scheme of things is still us versus the system right i can see that all right so i think it's all intertwined and i think it just opened up um a a bigger scope on the issue and it's just it's a people versus the system issue no matter what whether it's police brutality and us versus the legal system us versus the corporations us versus the nfl so it's always if that, us versus if the system. that is the case and you are Colin Kaepernick. 
do you even want to play in the NFL? At this point, the way that it's, I don't know, see. Because I believe he wants to play. I think that's his passion, his love. I right, that is his think livelihood. I think he wants to play. And I think he would sign with a team. Mm-hmm. He's already said in interviews that uh, he would kneeling would not be an issue. He thinks he's he's proven his point on the kneeling. Okay. Now, that may change. Now You know what I mean? Once he gets signed, that may change. Mm-hmm. But he has told, I've been, I've been told, or I've read, that he has told NFL executives that the kneeling would not be an issue if he was able to sign with a team. He wants to play in a team. So, with that said, is it really, you know, people versus the system? If he wants to play in the system, can he do both? Can he be an at, uh, how do do we say it early? Can he be an activist that plays in the system? Because here's the thing, and we're going to bring this up and we talked about it. Eric Reed, his right-hand man, best friend, Kneeled with Colin, got blackballed with Colin, mm-hmm. signed with the Carolina Panthers, mm-hmm. now works every day for a check mm-hmm. from the NFL. Now, he still talks very ferociously, but he had to leave. He had to leave Colin's workout to make his team playing so they could go get that check from the NFL. Uh. So the question is that I'm trying to really understand is... Can you do both? Is Eric Reed as effective uh, being an activist and in, 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 in speaking out against the system while he is getting a paycheck from the system? I think that's the million dollar question. Can you be both an athlete and an activist? Can he still make valid points and represent a movement if he's working within? Right. Let's And let's be uh, even more... Uh, direct okay because i do believe you can be an athlete and an activist i believe lebron james is an athlete and an activist but he is not railing against the nba can you fight the very system that you're working for and paying your check every like every week i think it's a way to do both but it's a it's a delicate like dance you know what i mean because I think a lot of people think that it's, oh, it's Colin versus the NFL. And, you know, let's, let's be honest. He, we all know that he loves football. It's his passion. He wants to play. But essentially, I think that he can still work within the confines of the NFL and still want to see change. Like, it's nothing wrong. Like, I think he just wants change at the end of the day. And I feel like... The NFL is not doing what it could to change. Honestly, it's ugly. It's it's disgusting any way you look at the whole thing. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's institutional. Because, again, with that said, I say all this full disclaimer. I never stopped watching the league. I never protested the league. Uh, I've watched games you know what i mean i root for teams Mm -hmm. and players and i do all of that knowing how ugly an institution so it's like yeah again it's so i i self-admit a victim of the conditioning that this this big league has put on that you know they control the whole day they they control control sunday (laughs) two things control sunday church and the nfl Okay. Once that said, we've got to thank Nicholas again for the question. And we've got another question. 
Hey, what's up, Chiefs and Gigi? It's Mecca. How are y'all? Um, oh, just want to shout out my handles right quick. Mecca presents on IG. Dallas with RVA, IG, 2 triple O and Cut to the Chase, RVA, all on IG. We have events coming up, so follow us. Keep in touch. So I was calling because I had a question about what happened last week with Lakeith Stansfield, and he pretty much made comments about that our black media outlets, such as The Breakfast Club and Lipstick Alley and Shade Room, are not representing black people accurately. Or appropriately. So I just wanted to know what you guys thought about that. Mecca, great question, sis. I am so glad that you asked because this is something. <laughs> she is so glad that you asked, Mecca. I am. You have no idea. When topics like this come up, I get excited. I get excited because I'm like, finally, someone who feels the way that I do about some of these heinous platforms that we have to represent black culture do we think that what did they say okay we have breakfast club lipstick alley the shade room and world, world star? star was in there i think yeah and all of those are top of my list habitual offenders for making us look like horrible people all right so i absolutely agree all of those platforms do a great job at making us look crazy and they do a horrible job at showing i think the true spectrum of black culture so i okay like before i go into my answer which is obviously going to be different than yours <laughs> how lay, lay lay a little bit of the black story because i don't know if everybody knows lakeith stanfield is the actor that works on uh atlanta Uh, and he's worked in Get Out so tell a little bit about what Lakeith Stanfield wrote and then how so basically and this is a little quote because you know people love to take things out of context but he stated that it's a fact that a lot of these platforms are usually or tend to be feeding grounds for negative reinforcement toward black nonconformists. They bolster faux vanity and hold a white supremacist scope over black men and women, often highlighting negative attributes and downplaying mind expanding ones. My question, where is the lie? <laughs> where is the lie in that statement? I need to know. Because if that didn't hit the nail on the head... I don't know what is. So you so you agree with Lee Stanfield? One hundred percent. And I challenge anybody to show me the lie. Challenge. challenge. I, well, here's the thing. Uh, there is. I'm not saying that he's lying because I don't believe that he's lying to an extent. However, there are, I think, wider ranges of, like, there. I, I think. World Star is difficult to defend. I will say that. Okay. Uh, Shade Room is difficult to defend. Okay, two on the list. Keep right, going. so that's different. I think uh, The Breakfast Club is probably the one that I'm most familiar with. Okay. And I do think as best they can, they have gone about highlighting uh, black entrepreneurship. I think they've gone about highlighting political content. Uh, I think a lot of people wouldn't know who Angela Rye is if it wasn't for The Breakfast Club. I don't think a lot of people would know some of the mental health stuff that 
uh, that the Breakfast Club does. So here's the, I'm not, and I'm not saying that he's lying because there's still Angela Yee's rumor report, right? There's still it's still ninety percent of the whole. Concept. There's still the hot topic type stuff. Um, a lot of it is is difficult to say that it encompasses or it doesn't reinforce negative stereotypes, right? My, I think the challenge is when you talk about media. And especially when you talk about black media as well, is that I think that just about anything, I think perspective is important. Mm-hmm. I think just about anything, depending on how you look at it, can be made to be anti-black. I do. I think that I think it's because again there are conservative radio pundits that would tell me to my face, black conservative radio pundits that would tell me Barack Obama is anti-black. They would tell me, uh, you know, Al Sharpton or black activists or Angela Rye. They would tell me that they are anti-black because of their policy views, right? Or or because of some of the the rhetoric they use. So so I do think that just about anything in the media, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to black people, can be can can kind of be twisted. And manipulated and convulted, and again, some of the biggest, I think, most positive activists I know, whether it's in Richmond or whether it's at the national level, could have someone that looks like you and I say that they are anti-black. I can guarantee you, and this is look, I'm not trying to get in any trouble, cause any controversy, but I can guarantee you that there are black people that are in support of projects like Navy Hill and Richmond that would look at the black activists that are opposed to the Navy Hill project in Richmond and say those activists are anti-black because they're not trying to lift up the black people that would benefit from Navy Hill and vice versa. So I, so, so, so it's interesting because when, let's bring it back to media because we're talking about media and we're talking about, um, you know, world star and the shade room and, and Lipstick Alley and and, and Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. I don't think you can lump all of them. I would probably move the Breakfast Club out of that bag. Oh, wow. Would you? Absolutely not. Okay, I would probably move Breakfast Club out of that bag. I would say, again, very difficult for World Star, the overall genesis of World Star to be defended. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this. I think in the last couple of years, World Star hasn't been the same World Star. Like, you know, the World Star leader, uh, the guy that founded World Star, passed away right. tragically, unfortunately. And and, and since then, um, it hasn't had the same grasp, I believe, and the same influence on the culture. It's true. But what does it say about us, Black Americans, that probably for a decade, a decade, World Star? was the number one website for the culture, black culture. Worldstar was number one. If you looked at the source power list of digital, all that, Worldstar was number one. It wasn't even close about the grasp that Worldstar had on black culture. And I would argue through that whole run, there wasn't a lot of quote-unquote positive things. This is true. That Worldstar, I mean, it would probably be, 90% reinforced stereotypes and maybe 10% of a good feel good story. That's true. But they but they so what is it about 
What is it about sites like World Star or the Shade Room? Look at the Shade Room. Shade Room is a hundred percent gossip site. Oh, for sure. So, but, so what is it about those media outlets that grasp the culture so much? A site that focused on positive stories about elementary school, middle school, and high school teachers and the black community isn't going to do or hasn't done what World Star done has done. So why is that? What like who should we really be looking at? And that's a very good question because this is where I place the blame on us as a community because we do. I mean, but that's human nature. I mean, it's sad to say, but negativity spreads faster. It gets sure. more of a stronger reaction. It gets more longevity and more buzz, more clicks. I mean, basically everything. And I do agree with you where a lot of this is or can be total perception, right? So... It's perception, yes, but then you have to start looking at patterns. Now, I know you said you wanted to take the Breakfast Club out of this. I don't know why, because they are habitual, habitual offenders of bringing people on their platform and highlighting drama, controversy, and things that the interviewee really doesn't kind of want to talk about. Sure. Right? So, and they've had a pattern more often than not. And I've noticed, I'm not going to say every time, but a lot of people who come on the breakfast club actually check Charlemagne or check them and say, Hey, I know y'all don't want to talk about what I got going on positive. You want to talk about this. I mean, I think they are known to highlight petty, petty drama. True or false? Like, I mean, I think, no, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? So, saying. However, the other challenge is if they don't ask the question, then we'll, then they, everybody in the comments will be like, you had this person on your show for 30 minutes and you didn't ask the question. So is it kind of like it's darn if you do, darn if you don't? I think so. In, in many ways. So, so I, I do not think that the breakfast club reinforces negative stereotypes as much as world star in the shade room. Did. I don't know anything about lipstick alley, so I really can't say I don't, I don't, I don't visit that site. It's like a light version of the shade room. Okay. It's, it's like shade room and war star had a baby. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> but the, the idea that sites that only highlight negative images of black Americans um, is anti-black. I understand that concept. I understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if, like I said, that it falls into 100% of what I think of those particular media outlets, especially when it comes to the Breakfast Club. Now, with that said, the bigger, I think the bigger challenge, and we, we talked about this a little bit, but I do think the bigger challenge is those particular sites, and it's believe it or not, it's not just black media, right? It's not just black media. We all know who Perez Hilton is. Yeah. We wouldn't know we like Perez Hilton. We wouldn't know who Perez Hilton was if it wasn't for him talking about the you know white celebrities, yeah. right? You know what I'm saying? Like that's true. Um, you mentioned negativity spreads further than positivity. We all just got through this election season. Do you know how many negative ads we saw versus positive ads? Why do we see that? Because negative ads actually work. We we know in the political realm, 
you know, us telling you not to vote for Gigi is better than me saying vote for Mark, right? Like, vote for Chiefs. And so what is it about our society, right, that kind of gears towards that type of toxic energy, that type of, like, tearing people down as opposed to lifting them up? I mean, if you ask me, I'm going to go down a path and open a can of worms that we don't have time for. But, I mean... Can of worms, Gigi, open it up. I'm telling you, the media, you know, the media controls the narrative, right? I mean, that's just what it is. So I think it's... I think it's... We're suffering from decades of predictive programming and social engineering that is just getting worse and worse. And I think that we have to change our way of thinking, but I don't think that can be done solely off of our effort. I think the media and the heads of these corporations, I'm not going to say have an obligation, but I think that it starts with them because we get our information. We get our, the height, we get our, what we think, what we see from the media. So it starts with the media. Can I take it a step farther though? Yeah. I'll take it a step further because you're saying the media controls the narrative, mm-hmm. but what controls the media? Technically we do because it, no, 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 no. Hear me out. Okay. Because advertise the media is run off advertising revenue, but the media would follow the money. The money is based in advertising. You know, what Lakeith was kind of mentioning was a lot of these blogs and kind of the social media aspect of yeah. what's YouTube and you know, kind of these blog sites. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of counter. There's not a lot of counter to that type of stuff dominating the culture. Right, right. I, and I totally agree with you, but I'll even take it a step further because you're saying that, and, and you're right, we control the ad dollars. We control, I guess, some of the programming, but to even dive a little deeper... It's all a social, psychological type of thing. Just like it's known that c- companies use certain colors, sure. certain temperatures sure. to persuade our yeah, buying habits. Absolutely. Right? It's, it's getting this, worse and worse. Worse and worse. And that it, it goes the same with what we are drawn to as far as entertainment. They still, I think, are psychologically <laughs> shifting. Manipulating. Manipulating. And I think it's so real. And that's, you know, it's a matter I don't know if I look conspiracy GGs in the bag. I'm telling you, I'm I don't know bag. if I go that far. Oh, why but not? I, but I do know that. Let me. We'll close on this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he said it. Yes, me too. I'm, I am glad he said it. I love it because at least it allows us to have a critical discussion about indeed is what he's saying true. Right. How do we go about checking our ourselves and our media and what we consume in and are we either consciously or you know kind of unconsciously taking in mm-hmm. these and reinforcing these negative stereotypes on our own so i'm glad he said it yeah. because it does lead to the discussion but at the same time i don't know if i can co-sign a hundred percent of everything he says because there's a balance there especially with some again i would probably move breakfast club to a different kind of category 
leave the other three in that category. And it and it, again, it's not like I've never been on World Star. I have. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I mean, again, maybe you know, I take it. Maybe you take it personal, right? Like, but uh, or because you're trying to say, I hope I'm not anti-black. But of course, by viewing those websites and even the, some of the stuff that we probably unconsciously do on this show probably reinforces you know what i'm saying because the things we talk we talk about a lot of things on the cheats movement that would be considered reinforcing those negative stereotypes even if we try to do it in a way that is thoughtful and you know not necessarily negative but again i think just about anything can be manipulated into anti-black ladies and gentlemen we'll have to leave it there for now This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. That's the end of our show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review. Please rate and review. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR.